So how many of you got an extra hour of sleep last night? Yeah. How many of you stayed up an extra hour? Yeah, I'm, I'm on to you. So those of you who got the extra hour of sleep, you have my permission to poke in the ribs if you see them nodding off, those who stayed up the extra hour. So last Thursday was Halloween. Now, I'm not going to get into the should Christians participate in Halloween debate. I'm simply um, mentioning it to note as I look around, most of you are not wearing costumes today. You, you took off the masks, came as yourselves, for which I am thankful. So you put off who you were not and put on who you are, which is good. Wouldn't want a bunch of zombies running around this morning, which seems to be the costume of choice this year. So what is the deal with zombies anyway? Our culture seems to be obsessed with the undead. There is a popular TV series on zombies right now, The, the Walking Dead, recent movie starring none other than Brad Pitt, entitled World War Z, Z for zombies. Clever. <laughs> Awful movie. Watched it last week on vacation. Last year, there was actually a movie entitled Abraham Lincoln versus Zombies. Did not watch it, but apparently he was president by day, zombie fighter by night. I googled zombie movies and was shocked to find that Wikipedia lists over 700 movies, I actually counted, 700 movies that have zombies in them to include such exciting titles as Attack of the Vegan Zombies. (laughs) Now let's think about that. For some reason, zombies are carnivorous. They attack non-zombie people, turning them into zombies. So what exactly does a vegan zombie attack? I'm thinking Larry the Cucumber. (laughs) There were a bunch of zombie movies with the word dead in the title. For example, Dead and Deader, (laughs) Dead and Breakfast. Yummy. Um, Dead is dead, dead time stories, and dead serious, and I'm dead serious about those titles. Okay. No, really, I read through them. Just a couple of more. Uh, You do understand I'm not recommending these. I've not watched them. I'm just humored by the titles. So run right out, and you can get, are you ready? How about Kung Fu Zombie, Zimba, I mean, Ninja Zombie, or Redneck Zombie? (laughs) That's got to be good. <laughs> Last but not least, Zombie Geddon and Zombinator. No, really, I think those are available if you want to go rent those. Okay. So, as I understand it, zombies are walking around dead people. They are called the undead. That's kind of weird. Don't quite get that. And then I thought about it, and I realized that we too are surrounded by dead people. They are walking all around us, spiritually dead. And the truth is, they act like dead people. They pursue what dead people pursue. They do what dead people do. You, however, are no longer dead. 
If you know Jesus, you have been raised up with Christ, and you are more alive now than you have ever been before. And you have died to the things of the world. So Paul's encouragement to us today is to, listen, stop acting like dead people. Stop doing what dead people do. In fact, you need to put to death in yourselves what you used to do when you were walking around dead, when you were the dead walking. No, it's really in our text today. Look at it with me, Colossians chapter 3. But I'm going to start back in chapter 2. I don't have it on the screen. Chapter 2, verse 20, it says, If you have died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, and you have. Chapter 3, verse 3, For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. Therefore, verse 5, consider the members of your earthly body as dead. To immorality, to impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. For it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. And in them you also once walked when you were living in them or with them. But now you also put them all aside. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and abusive speech from your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you, you laid aside the old self with its evil practices. And, and, and you put on the new self who is being renewed to a true knowledge according to the image of the one who created him. A renewal in which there is no distinction between Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave and freeman. But Christ is all and in Oh, okay, so maybe my introduction was just a bit of a stretch, but, but here's the title of my sermon, You're Not Zombies, So Don't Act Like One. Now, I worked on that for a couple of weeks now. My point is, Paul's point is, you have died with Christ, you were buried with Christ, and you have been raised up with Christ, therefore, don't act like dead people. In fact, put to death in yourselves what the dead people around you are doing. In this text, Paul gives two what are called vice lists. They were common during his day. Some suggest, in fact, that he was borrowing from the Greek culture around him, but actually his list was not much like theirs, so maybe, I don't know, he's copying the Old Testament. You know, the Ten Commandments, for example, which is primarily a list of things not to do. Paul says some of the same things with some of the same prohibitions, but there is a significant difference while people in the Old Testament under the Old Covenant were incapable of keeping the Ten Commandments, people in the New Testament, people under the New Covenant, that's you and that's me, can keep this list of prohibitions. We can put these things to death. And some of you need to. How do we do it? We have died with Christ, we've been buried with him, and we have positionally put to death 
the things of this world. We have been raised with Christ. We are now alive with him. The good news of the gospel includes the truth that what God demands of us, he enables us to do through the finished work of his son and the indwelling and empowering presence of the Holy Spirit. This is serious stuff. You can do this. So Paul says, put to death the things that dead people do. Here's the real title of my sermon. Start making your practice match your position. And by the way, he's going to follow that, these vice lists with a virtue list in verses 12 and following. Put off uh, death. You take off like a filthy garment these things. And put on a heart of compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience. That's what Christian live people look like. So this week, put off these things. Next time, it's going to be a few weeks because you heard that special uh, things we get going the next few weeks. Put on some things. Stop acting like dead people and start acting like live in Christ people that you are. And so for our purposes this morning, let's outline the text around those two vice lists. They are the put-to-death list and the put-off list. And by the way, he's going to follow both of those lists with a why or some why we do this. So let's start with that first list, things to put to death. Now my translation as I read it had it, therefore consider the members of your earthly body dead. That's actually highly interpretive, don't really like it. More literally, it is a command that says this, therefore, put to death the members of, of, of the earth or your earthly members. You see, the inter interpretive part is this. You have died. You were buried with Christ to the stuff of this earth. That's happened, so consider what remains to be dead. That is true, but it is still a command, and frankly, it is a command that some of you need to hear this morning. Since we are to have a heavenly mindset, so we looked at a couple of weeks ago, get rid of this earthly garbage. Put it to death. And I didn't put Images of zombies, you know, they're not real. Everybody understand that. Um, on the screen, because we had little kids in here, and I don't want to scare anybody, having nightmares tonight, but I want you to get that image of zombies in your mind. All that garbage that they're around, because that's what dead people do. And you are to put it to death. Start acting like who you really are. He gives us a list of five things that we are to put to death. Consider them as dead in your bodies because they are. And this, and the list is actually quite interrelated. Most, if not all of them, have to do with sexual immorality. So I need to talk about that this morning. Put to death first immorality. The Greek word is porneia. You know it is a word from which we get our word pornography. The word porneia speaks of any and all kinds of sexual immorality and sexual sin. For our purposes, it would certainly include premarital or extramarital relationships, pornography, and illicit sexual relationships 
such as homosexuality. There are other things I'm not going to say the words because um, I don't want, we have children. You need to put this to death. It is not to be part of the now living in Christ person. Sexual immorality is what dead people do. You are no longer dead. You are alive in Christ. Put it to death once and for all. The imperialism, the heiress tense. Put it to death once and for all and be done with it. Second thing we need to put to death is impurity. Now Paul uses these first two words regularly together. Um, by itself, the word impurity can refer to that which is unclean or uh, impure or unholy. But, but used in this list with coupled with immorality, it's intentionally connected to refer again to sexual sin. Okay? Sin. Sexual sin. Third, put to death passion. Now, by itself, that English word is a neutral term. Actually, we use it rather positively to speak of having a passion for something like sports or, or study. Just kidding about that one. Um, <coughs> or, or maybe even Christ, right? There's that college movement where 50,000, 60,000 college students were gathered right the first of the year at that conference called Passion. Been there a couple of times, fantastic. But in the Greek and in this list, this word typically speaks of sexual passions, of having a passionate desire for that which is sexually forbidden. In fact, it's only used two other times um, in the New Testament, both by Paul, so he uses it all three times. In Romans chapter 1, verse 26, talking about God giving people over to degrading passions, that's frankly homosexuality, and then he uses it again talking about sexual immorality in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, so it's sexual. Fourth, put to death evil desire. Now, again, this word desire is a neutral term, but typically in the New Testament speaks of evil desires. Um, and Paul even adds that word evil to make sure that we understand that's what he's talking about. This particular word desire is used, for example, in James chapter 1, uh, when he says this, but each one is tempted when he is carried away and enticed by his own lust. That's the word. Desire, by his own desire, then when lust has, uh, same word, has conceived, it gives birth to sin. So James, this is very important, is saying that sin begins internally with evil desires. So the evil desire here in this list refers to illicit or sinful desire. Actually, the word lust is a good word for sexual sin. Because we think of lust as having a desire for something sinfully sexual. Okay. Jesus himself used this word that way, this way in Matthew chapter 5. Matthew chapter 5, he's talking to a bunch of people who are pretty proud of their supposed spirituality and holiness. He says, you have heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. And they were really proud of themselves. We haven't done the deed. We've not committed adultery. But I say to you that everyone who looks at a woman with lust, that's the word, has, for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Ah. So, to look at a woman with physical sexual desire is lust and is therefore sin. And Jesus likens it to adultery of the heart. 
It is the sinful mental attitude of lust which leads to the physical act of adultery. And he says, you are just as guilty as the actor. Paul says, you have died with Christ. And these kinds of sinful sexual appetites, you have died to. You've been raised with him. So set your minds Set your minds on things above and not on these sinful earthly things. Now, let me just go ahead and say it. This is why pornography is sinful. It doesn't, it doesn't, it doesn't, doesn't hurt. It. Use whatever argument you want to use. It is sinful. And frankly, it is destroying our culture. And I want you to hear me. When I say it is what dead people do. It's what dead people do. But studies reveal that it is a problem in the church. And many of you are struggling with pornography. Maybe you even justify it. I'm just looking. I'm not actually sinning. Jesus says you are. And so does Paul. So the next time, listen to me. The next time you are drawn to porn, I want you to remember it is what dead people do. And you're not dead. You are alive in Christ. And I don't want you to feast on that trash. Fifth, Paul says, put to death greed. The word can be translated greed or covetousness. It's defined as an evil desire to have something that is not rightly yours to have. Most suggest that since it's in this list, it's, it's akin to those words passion or, or, or lust, evil desire. Now notice how Paul finishes this list uh, uh, with the words, which amounts to idolatry. <laughs> Wow, that seems a little bit strong. A couple of questions. First, to what is he referring? What is it that amounts to idolatry? Is it only greed or, or is it the whole list? It's a good case to be made that since all of these are related to sexual sin, Paul is saying sexual sin amounts to idolatry. Wow. How so? as I struggle with this sin. Because sexual sin is wrong, and in, to desire and pursue it more than Christ when he says not to amounts to idolatry because it is putting something else in the place of Christ. It is setting your affection on earthly things and not on things above. Jesus alone deserves your highest Affections, And so, the next time that you are drawn towards sexual sin, whatever that looks like, illicit sin, illicit sex, illicit lust, I want you to remember, this is what dead people do, and I am desiring something other than Christ, and therefore it amounts to idolatry. Put it to death. And I want to remind you that you can. Brothers and sisters, you can. 
Paul spent the first part of this letter taking uh, or talking about the supremacy and sufficiency of Christ in all things. He is Lord of our lives. He has given us a spirit under the provision of the new covenant whereby we can live. Brothers, sisters, we are no longer the walking dead. We have the spirit-empowered ability to put this flesh to death. And we have to because we're new creations in Christ, yes. Because we're new people, yes. Because we're no longer dead, yes. Because we are alive people, yes. And verse 6 also tells us that still dead people will see the wrath of God. We put these things to death for it is because of these things that the wrath of God will come upon the sons of disobedience. Now, People always get bothered by the scriptural truth that there is such a thing as the wrath of God. We have reimagined God. He is a God of love. But he is also a God, if you're taking notes, write this down. He is also a God of infinite and unequaled holiness. Infinite and unequaled holiness. It's interesting to note that the angels, angelic beings called seraphim, which surround his throne with six wings, two wings to cover their eyes, two wings to cover their feet, and with two wings they fly, cease not, day and night, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year, to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, who was and who is and is to come. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was and who is and who is to come. Holy, ho and they've been saying that since we got here this last hour. They said it while you slept last night, and they will keep saying it for all eternity. Because he is holy. And it's interesting to note that they do not say love, love, love. Now, he is love. But that is not what they proclaim in his presence. And his infinite, unequaled holiness requires a righteous response to sin. To sons and daughters, you're not out of this, ladies, of disobedience. And that righteous response is one of righteous wrath. That is the definition of God's wrath. It is his righteous response poured out on unrighteous people. People who live a lifestyle of immorality, impurity, sinful passion, evil desire, and greed, because all of that amounts to idolatry. I want you to remember that. When you are struggling in, in this battle against sin, you can be victorious, and you must. Sons of disobedience was a phrase we saw back in Ephesians 2. It's very interesting. There we read these words, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked. In other words, you were dead people walking around like zombies, the undead, doing what dead people do. You walked according to the course of this world and according to those earthly things, according to the prince of the power of the air, according to the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. Sons of disobedience then refers to people who are still dead. Then he uses the phrase again in Ephesians chapter 5, for this... You know with certainty. Now, what he means by that is you know this. You can try and justify it. You can try and, and, and wiggle your way around, but you know in your heart of hearts this is true, that no immoral or impure or covetous man, there's three of those five, who is an idolater, he says it again, has an inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. Let no one deceive you. It doesn't matter what they say. 
to you. It's okay, everybody does it. Empty words. For because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. The point that Paul is making here and in Colossians and Galatians chapter 5 and 1 Corinthians chapter 6 is this. If you, as a practice of life, I'm not talking about occasional sin. We're going to talk about that in a moment. But if you, as a practice of life, live like dead people, then you are not alive and nothing awaits you but the fearsome wrath of God. The people made alive in Christ will start a process of growing to be like Jesus. And Ben, back in Ephesians chapter 2, Paul went on from what we read earlier, and he says, among them we too all formerly lived. That's what, that's what we were. We lived in the lusts of our flesh, indulging in the desire of the flesh and of the mind. <laughs> then we were by nature children of wrath. That's God's wrath, even as the rest Walking dead people, that's what we were. But, 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 but God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, he made us alive together with Christ. We are no longer dead, brothers and sisters. We are alive in Christ. So it is time to put to death, to consider as dead things our former way of life. It is time to start living like who we really are, alive in Christ people. That's why Paul goes on in verse 7 of Colossians. And in them, meaning in these sinful actions, you also once walked when you were living in them, or more literally, among them. You used to walk with those sons of disobedience, with dead people doing what dead people do. No longer. This brings us quickly to the next vice list, verse Eight, but now you also, and that's in the emphatic, it means you yourselves, you, you, I'm talking to you, put them all aside. And those words are words that are typically used of taking off a dirty, or taking off an article of clothing. And, and then verse 12, you take, use the word, talk about putting on clothing. So here he's going to talk about some things you should take off, like that filthy garment. What do we take off? First, anger. Kind of interesting, we put off anger, says I just talked about God's anger in verse 6. And Paul tells us we need to put off anger and put on compassion and kindness and gentleness and patience. That's kind of God. I mean, what's the deal with that? Very simply this. God's anger or wrath is always righteous. Ours seldom is. <laughs> you know that's true. James said it this way, everyone must be quick to hear, slow to speak, and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Man's anger all too often brings unrighteousness. Again, you know that's true. Think of the times that you've been angry. Did it work? Was it right? Did it accomplish God's purposes? So Paul says, take it off. The word anger here refers to a settled disposition, the result of thoughtful reflection. I have thought about it, and I am angry. Good for you. Second, somewhat related, is wrath. Different word than what he uses in verse 6 of God's wrath. Here the word speaks of explosive, violent anger. Maybe the word rage would be good here. Right now, I just want you to think of you. Don't think of the person next to you. Explosive, violent rage. Is that you? 
Third, Paul says, take off malice. Now, that word speaks generally of wickedness, but used in this list, malice is actually a very good translation. It refers to speaking malicious evil toward or about another person. Again, it's the opposite of verse 12 when we put on compassion and kindness and gentleness and patience and humility. Alive in Christ people are to be known by their gracious speech. You're not malicious. Fourth, put off slander. Interesting word. Slander is the word blasphemia from which we get our word blaspheme. It's usually a word used of blasphemy against God, but it can be used as here to refer to speaking blasphemously, slanderously about another person. It is defamatory speech, and you know what I'm talking about. You've heard it, and you've said it. Finally, we put off abusive speech. That word usually refers to obscene or dirty language. But here, abusive speech, most think, is a good translation. It speaks of speaking offensively, obscenely, abusively about another person. Put that off. Put that off. Take it off like a filthy garment. And by the way, while we're on this topic of speech, he adds one more in verse 9. Don't lie to one another either. And we know that lying takes on all kinds of different forms. It isn't just, it isn't just saying something is outright untrue. It's, it's allowing people to believe things that are not true. Be people of truth. Now, there seems to be an intentional structure here in these two lists. Notice that each of these has, each of these lists has five vices followed by a prepositional phrase that seems to refer back to the entire list. So put the death. Impure, uh, immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, because all of that is idolatry. And now second list, put off anger, wrath, malice, slander, abusive speech, because all of that uh, comes from your filthy mouth. Put it off. That's how we acted when we were dead. We're no longer dead. It's not who we are. Notice also in the first list, he said, put these things to death because they'll receive God's wrath. Put them to death because you used to walk in them when you were living with the sons of disobedience. That's not who you are anymore. In the second list, he says basically the same thing. Take these things off because you laid that old self aside with its evil practices. It's not who you are. You took it off. In fact, verse 10, you put on a new self. Your old self died with Christ. And very likely he's talking about that old Adamic, uh, uh, the, the, the self that's identified with Adam, the first Adam. And now you put on the new Christ, which is the second Adam. There's, a, there's an old humanity that you're no longer part of. And you put on a new humanity with brothers and sisters in Christ. That'll become clear in just a moment. Your new self is continuing to be renewed to a true knowledge of the image of the one who created him. Those are very important words. Paul says you are being renewed. Very important that we understand what he's saying there because that is both passive and present. 
Passive means that it is being done to us. It's called a divine passive. The Holy Spirit is at work in us, renewing us. Though our outward man is wasting away, <laughs> mine more than some, uh, my, my, my inward man is being renewed day by day by the work of the Spirit. But it's also not only passive, but in the present tense, meaning the work is still going on. Brothers and sisters, that means this work is not finished. Have you ever wondered why, having come to faith in Christ, the old person has died, buried with Christ, new person raised with Christ? Have you ever wondered why you still battle against sin, why you still struggle sometimes to do the right thing? Struggle against sin. Anybody who says they don't struggle against the sin, they're lying, okay? It's because God is still doing his work in you by his spirit. He's in the process of renewing you to a true knowledge of God. This is a, this is a lifelong process. This new self is to be renewed in the image of the one who created you. We, we are being transformed into the image of God. And this takes us right back to Genesis chapter 1. We understand that we were created in the image of God. But then in our sinful rebellion in the fall, we marred that image. We still retain some likeness of our creator. But sin has deeply tainted and stained it. But our God is a God of redemption, renewal, and recreation. And he is in the process of renewing us to that original image. And it is a lifelong process. But it is a sure process because it's his work. But please notice something else as we close and prepare for communion in its most appropriate. Verse 11. Interesting, interesting verse. Paul goes on to describe what this renewed self looks like. And, and, and as, as you're reading through it, if you're not careful, just kind of you, you might miss something that's critically important. Because you would expect him to describe the new self in terms of individual righteousness and obedience and holiness. Again, very individualistic because that's the way we think in our not yet redeemed selves, our fully redeemed selves. But Paul describes the new self in terms of a new humanity, in terms of community, a community in which there is no distinction, for example, between Jew and Greek. We remember these false teachers that arrived and whatever else they were teaching had some Jewish flavor to it, uncircumcision diet days. And Paul says, it doesn't matter in this new humanity. Uh, just to be clear, he says again, that in this new self, there is no religious distinction between uncircumcision and circumcision. Between slave and freeman, socioeconomic positions don't matter in the new humanity. It doesn't matter. Why? It can even transform and renew barbarians. Barbarians was a technical term. It was an whatever. It's a word that sounds like it, what the, the sound that it makes, onomatopoeia, whatever that is. Um, it's, it, it, they used to make fun of people that didn't speak Greek because it sounded to them like bar, bar, barbarian. But the gospel has the power to renew uneducated, ignorant, uncivilized People like barbarians, even Scythians, a people uh, from the north of the Black Sea, they were seen as the worst of the worst. Listen, 
human ethnicity or nationality, religious backgrounds, socioeconomic status, doesn't matter. In Christ, there is no distinction because in this letter that exalts Christ, he is all and in all. And if we know him, we are members of this new humanity and there are no distinctions. What an encouraging passage. A passage which contains two vice lists that could be viewed as very negative. <laughs> but it's an encouraging reminder that God is at work in the lives of people to transform us individually and collectively into the image of his son. We were dead people walking around and he's made us alive in Christ through the gospel of his son. And we are no longer dead and we are no longer alone. We've been saved into a new humanity called the church. Communion is a reminder of both of those truths. First, by the work of his son on the cross, we have been bought with a price. We have been bought with the precious blood of our Christ as a result, bought out of the slave market of sin. We've been redeemed. And second, we've been brought into a new humanity and a new community. This is why we observe communion together on Sunday morning. I suppose you could grab some grape juice and bread out of, the, uh, out of the pantry and observe communion, but that would be very boring. You get to do it together with brothers and sisters in Christ. I'm going to ask the men who are going to be distributing the elements to go ahead and make their way to the back. Worship team, to go ahead and come to the front. Um, communion, something we do on the first Sunday of each um, month. It's, it's, it's this reminder to us because we need to be reminded of who we were and are no longer. We need to be reminded of what Christ has done for us. You need to be reminded of what Christ has done for us. And you need to be reminded of the great price that was paid. And so in just a moment, the guys will pass the, 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 the bread and you can take a little, a little cracker and hold on to it and we'll all eat together because we're a community, and then they'll pass the cup, and, and, and you'll hold it, and we'll all drink together, because we are a community, all right? And so, um, I have two qualifications that I want to make um, this morning. First of all, if you are here this morning, and you are not a follower of Christ, um, I, I, I don't want you to be, uh, I, I don't, listen, listen to me very carefully, I, I don't want you to be unduly offended by the fact that I've called you dead, um, but the truth is you're spiritually dead if you don't know Christ. And so this meal, is this thing that we do is for believers. And so you have one of two choices. If you don't know Christ, you can just pass the elements or you can say, you know what? I don't want to be dead anymore. I want to be alive in Christ. And you can believe the gospel. Right there where you sit, you can ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin and to make you alive in Christ because of what he did through his death, burial, and resurrection. He will right now. And you can participate with us. Second qualification I want to make is this. Um, some of you who know Christ have not been acting like it. You've been living in some of these sins. I'm talking like last night. I'm talking this week. You lived in sexual immorality or you lived with sins of the flesh, sins of the mouth. You've got one of two choices. Um, you can pass the elements because I don't want you to eat if you're not ready. Because 1 Corinthians chapter 11 says, if you eat in an unworthy manner, you, 
you bring harm. You bring yourself into danger. Don't do that. So pass the elements. Or you can right now where you sit, you can confess your sin. I've not been living. I've not been living like a alive in Christ person. God, would you forgive me? Would you make me alive in Christ? Would you remove these sins of the flesh from me? And then you can participate with us. Father, right now, I ask that you would do your work by your spirit. Bring to life dead people. (laughs) And for those of us who have been acting like dead people, bring repentance. In Christ's name, amen.